From WXCI 91.7 in Danbury, this is Public Reading Club, a radio program dedicated to discussions about books, writing, reading with writers and book people. Your host is Matt Caputo. What we have is a nice gathering of friends for our latest edition of Public Reading Club. Um, it's really great. Um, it's an honor for me. Um, I, Matt Caputo, the host of Public Reading Club, here with our engineer, Patrick Frenette. Um, it's an honor to host Michael Ledwidge um, here at WXEI on the campus of Western Connecticut State University. He's uh, a prolific author. The uh, best way to introduce him is that he's a Bronx native and a Manhattan College graduate, a best-selling co-author uh, of over a dozen books with James Patterson in 2020. Uh, he released his first solo novel since 1999, which brought readers Michael Gannon and a, a few other one-off uh, novels, and he's here today to talk about his latest one-off novel, *The Girl in the Vault*, that is available everywhere now from Hanover Square Press. Uh, it's a fantastic uh, read, um, along the lines of anything you'd get from a, um, you know, uh, the best of what you'd get from a collaborator of James Patterson. Uh, it is a heist uh, story with a female um, lead protagonist. Um, I enjoyed it. I, I read it sometime. Uh, earlier this year and now it's available for the public to read and Mike wanted to come back we had so much fun talking on our first uh, visit together I think that was episode 9 and we just had so much fun talking and he wanted to come back right around the time the new book came out and I was more than happy to have him here in the studio with us so um, really without further ado I present to you our latest uh, conversation with prolific novelist Michael Ledwidge, who also lives uh, right here in Connecticut, uh, um, in Avon, and he's uh, been up here for a while now. And uh, it's 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 great to connect my two worlds of uh, kind of being a, an old school New York City type of person that now lives um, in Connecticut. So it's great to have, uh, for episode 13, Michael Ledwidge is back. He was actually with us for episode 7. Uh, so if you go back and, and you want to listen to the first episode, we, we do touch on a number of the same things, but uh, we get in uh, a little more in-depth about uh, his writing processes and uh, his career along the way and uh, obviously a lot about the new book. So Michael Ledwidge is our guest for Public Reading Club, I'm Matt Caputo, your host, and I'll see you again at the bottom of the show. We are here at WXCI with a very special guest. He's probably the first guest to ever want to come back on the show and spend more time <laughs> with me again. He is the prolific novelist Michael Ledwidge. He has over 20 novels published. He was a longtime collaborator with James Patterson. His brand new novel is called The Girl in the Vault. It's already making some noise. 
We had a fantastic, uh, I guess you would say, signing and author interaction at the bookshops at the summit here in Danbury recently. I'd like to thank everybody who, uh, just personally, nice to see people supporting books in Danbury. The shop itself is fantastic, and they are going to be moving downstairs early uh, in 2024, so it's going to be even more accessible. Um, that's a great bookstore. They have new and used books. Uh, but it was great to see you, Mike. Uh, it, it, it's really a, an honor to have you want to come back on the show. I, I enjoy your work so much. We're we're kind of in the we're kind of in the takeoff phases of the girl in the vault, huh? Right. Yes. Um, thanks so much for having me back, Matt. Um, yeah, it's uh, this is a, a, a really cool um, noir-ish uh, sort of. It's a crime novel. Um, if you like, uh, if you like the Devil Wears Prada, uh, it's like the Devil Wears Prada, but there's a heist in it, um, because it's about a young girl uh, out of college uh, who's from uh, Kentucky. Her name is Faye, and Faye comes up to New York because she gets this really great uh, Wall Street internship, and um, she's a shoe in for this job, so she thinks because she's the best one there. And so her dream life is about to about to start, but of course there's a glitch and she gets betrayed by her bosses and um, and she's real desperate. So like what we see in these things, and then what happens is that she decides that um, she's gonna leave with a little bit. Um, uh, she's gonna take a, a unofficial severance package with her, and in the form of a heist. Wow. Of the investment bank where she works, and um, and what I love about it, uh, like uh, one of the greatest things that I I really like uh, about noir, um, it, you know, there's great heist movies and stuff, but um, one of the greatest uh, noirs, one of my favorite ones is a uh, Double Indemnity. Yeah, great one. And what I like so much about it is that in the middle of the movie is this this perfect murder, so there's kind of this perfect crime kind of aspect to this heist. Where you know you, people reading it think you know you plausibly might be able to get to get away with this and uh, yeah so that's kind of fun and, and people are liking it so far so you know Mike I know you have um, a few children and I know that you have a daughter right uh, yes and um, two daughters two daughters and a son and a son and you know I think as a writer and an artist obviously you're pulling things from the world you live in how much of this young female character was actually pulled kind of from your children's lives or their friends or yeah, um, and with this one, um, this it's actually a, a lot of the the internship the internship aspect of it, and the Wall Street job aspect of it actually came from my son. He wow. he, he actually works for an investment bank, <laughs> and he went through this in, internship, and uh, it was kind of a you know it was a kind of big ordeal, intense where he, thing, an intense thing, and uh, he didn't know if he was going to get the job. And he had to move to a different city, and he had to get an apartment, and so there's a, there's a big kind of risk thing in it. And there's like a dozen people, and only two people got the job. Luckily, he got he got the job, but some people don't get the job. So that was one aspect of it. The, the whole kind of desperation. What if somebody was like on their final kind of kind of dime here to try to who are banking on something, and then uh, they don't get it, and they're very desperate, and what have you. And it's also, but it's actually him and his wife, because his wife also. Um, works at this this investment bank and um so it, it was both of them <laughs> and 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 speaking to to, to my daughter-in-law 
that's interesting, you know, because I, I, I kind of figured that that's where you were pulling from. I was like, I bet you Mike's children are around this age or have gone yeah. through these stages a bit, and you were pulling from that. Yep. It's very interesting because, um, you know, we, we obviously um, some of our listeners will remember you from episode seven, I believe it was, uh, when you came on and you were uh, here with us. But you also have Beach Wedding. Uh, which is a, a similar kind of standalone novel, possibly uh, more geared towards a female audience. We, we've talked about um, how much of that was pulled from your life. Did you have a family wedding out east that led to that? Um, the beach wedding. Um, the Hamptons part of it was uh, came. I was familiar with the Hamptons because we used to, when I was in college, me and a, <clears throat> a bunch of my crazy friends um, actually. Uh, rented out a house in, in Hampton Bays. So we I spent like I think three summers uh out there. So that I was familiar with the, with the, like the kind of the they call the Hampton Bays the, the poor man's Hamptons because <laughs> it's nearby to Southampton all these really rich places. But um so I I got that from that and uh yeah, and the in Beach Wedding um the uh that was the main part about of that aspect of it was the um I was familiar with with the area. You know, for and when I was in college, so all that kind of stuff is there. But um, the other parts of the book, with the um, the rich people in the Hamptons and the and the beach, and and actually the title "Beach Wedding" um, came from uh, uh, James Patterson has a bunch of books with the beach in the, in the title. He did Beach Road, Beach House, yeah, and other um, other ones, and so. When I was when I first started, because I started to write that a long time ago. It, originally, I was going to try to do it as a James Patterson esque really addition to the to the whole beach thing. Yeah, there's a different tone and a pace to that one than yeah. your work with Patterson for sure. Yeah. A little bit different. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about um, the new book. You know, you've just released it. What? How does it work with you with these one offs? Like, do you? Do you have this idea for a long time? Is this something that mostly lives in your head? Are you a big note taker and, and kind of filer away? Right. Um, the, the original, uh, I was saying before about the, the heist itself was the, 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 the germ of the idea for the, for the novel. Um, was uh, Basically, I got that off a podcast. I was listening to a podcast. Um, I forget the name of it, but it was a guy. He was talking about how he used to work in an investment bank, and he said that there was um, basically a large sum of money in cash that was on that was not 20 feet from his desk in a closet and um, uh, several million dollars in cash and what it was is that it, it, it was kidnapping insurance wow. for the VIP um, investors um, and so once I heard that, because I'd never heard that before. Very interesting. Yeah, because I had heard before, because there's a, a, a movie called, um, uh, oh, what's the name of it? With the uh, Russell Crowe, where he, he plays a kidnapping negotiator. Yeah, uh, yeah. Proof of life. Yes. So the, where they talk about kidnapping insurance in that, but this was another aspect of it, and the fact that this guy's working there. He's different working angle, at, yeah. A different angle, and that he actually is sitting in, a, in an office with his $10 million in the closet. So I said to myself, okay, there's a, there's a noir novel right there. Absolutely. How does he get the $10 million out of the closet and get away with it? It's really amazing because um, people don't actually know how common like kidnapping attempts are on rich people. There was a guy from Connecticut here. It's a famous case. His name is Eddie Lampert. 
um, he was kidnapped by some guys that used to work for him, and they drove him around, I think, for a couple of days, tried to scare him and all this type of thing. Sure. But so, Mike, what I want to ask you is when you, you know, I heard you say the other day um, at the bookstore, um, a, a buddy of yours, I think, asked you how long it would take you to write a novel, and you thought for a second, and you said, could do it in a month, easy. How long did it take you to write this one? Um, this one I wrote... The first, say, like 75 pages, I wrote, and then um, I, maybe that took a couple of months or something, and it sat there for about a year, and I didn't, I did something, I was working on something else, and then I went back to it, and um, I just picked it back up again, and um, I just got in the groove, and I literally wrote uh, 250 words or whatever, the th two-thirds of it. Uh, in like three weeks. Wow. I cranked this one out, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, because I kind of got into the groove of the whole thing. Like, because there was a little bit of a glitch when I, where I kind of, because usually sometimes if I stop writing, there's usually, maybe there's something a little bit maybe wrong with the, with the, with the outline that I'm not kind of completely confident in or whatever. And um, so, but with this one, once I kind of went back to it and took another look at it, it just kind of, it just started to flow the whole the rest of the story really came out a lot um very quickly and uh yeah uh and i was really kind of jazzed about the whole thing because i thought it came out really quite well you know what i wanted to ask you is when you write those first 75 pages and this is a general question about just kind of how your career works at this point mike um when you write those 75 pages is that something that you kind of send out on spec to to your agent or is that just in your drawer ready to be continued um, with this one, uh, yeah, you know what it is? It's like sometimes I'll just come, I'll come up with an idea, and I'll start banging it around a little bit, and and I'll write like like let's say the first two or three chapters of it, and um, if I like it, I'll you know maybe I'll, I'll leave it down for a week or two, and I'll go back and take another look at it, and if I read and go yeah this 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 works this this the, you know if I if I feel that there's there's some life in it. Uh, then I'll, I'll just hit it. Yeah, I, I, I don't have to consult with anybody about, you know, uh, whether I'm going to sell it or what I'm going to do with it. You know, if it's more about if I'm confident in, in uh, is this work and is this, is this good writing? Is this, uh, is this story taken off, you know? I, I think I've asked you this before, but just kind of to put in perspective for maybe some of the listeners in our MFA program and stuff, you're at a point now at 23 Novels when you – when you pitch a book like The Girl in the Vault, does a 30-page, uh, you know, book proposal come with it? Or is this, could it, are you sometimes just sending an email with your synopsis? Right. Um, with this one, this was actually, uh, it was part of a contract that I had signed. It was like a multiple book, book contract. Mm -hmm. And it was, um, uh, you know, you know, one standalone uh, and then, uh, like because I, I have this Gannon series that, that I'm working on. Yeah. So it was like a two, I personally love. Uh, you like the Gannon? So yeah. So it was it was two Gannon books plus a standalone. So this was the so the standalone's up to me to kind of come up with. So so j just out of curiosity for technical uh, perspective, when you sign a contract with that, is there a, put, a probably changeable? But I mean, uh, is there a blurb about what that standalone may be, or is it just general? General, you have to come up with a standalone at some point. Um, with this, there, there was yeah. You know what? I think I signed the contract, but then 
very soon afterwards they, they asked for uh, uh, like a little synopsis of it. Yeah, yeah, um, that's interesting because you know I've heard. Um, but but you know but but since I was with my publisher, I mean I, this is what the sixth novel that I've finished with them, the most recent one I just did. So they they were confident, like yeah, if I say I'm going to do it, you know I'm consistent, I'm coming up with it. So you know I think that you know it's a, if you have a track record that that you come through, uh, they. Uh, they're more willing to accept. Okay, you know he's going to come up with a standalone. They don't have to know the whole thing right up thing. front. Right. Yeah. Have you just out of curiosity's sake, as a kind of a technical perspective of your writing, have you have you ever started a book and stopped in the middle and just not maybe given up or said, ah, oh, this isn't going to work. Let's try something else. Um, not in a long, long time. Cause, yeah. Because huh? because I, I I I outline. I won't kind of start it until if I know. Okay, I have a. I this is a novel. You know, I I have enough um, of an idea of 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 um, blowing this out where into a novel. Um, I won't even start before I, I have the the full idea, you know, or you know, a ballpark of how it, this is going. I'm going to have a beginning, a middle, and an end to a 400 you know 450 page book. Um, so yeah, I I have to have the kind of you know the outline in, like in my head. But like I was saying before. Uh, a couple of times, like I said, when I heard this idea about the kidnapping insurance money, I knew for a fact that it was a novel, like in two seconds. I, I just said, I said, first of all, I know for because I've done this before. It seems instinctually, right in your wheelhouse. yeah, instinctually, I can definitely make this into a novel. I don't know how, but I know that I can. And I also wrote another novel in um, 2007 called uh, "The Quickie" with Patterson. Yes, and the same exact thing happened. Where I, I I came up with the kernel of the idea, and I knew right away like Bing 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 in two seconds I had the whole thing down, because of just from the kernel of this idea of whatever it is where you can just kind of you know that there's enough. Um, this situation is so pregnant with possibilities <laughs> that it's gonna be able to be blown out into a into a full blown novel. Let me ask you something. You you've been doing this a while. It seems like. Um Seems like this is a big rollout for you. This book. It seems like you know. I I, I I hate to say I don't know how often you went out and promoted books before. I definitely wasn't living in this area long enough to to know how, how long you came out locally. But is there you feel like you're out kind of promoting this a little heavier? Or? Um, I, you know it's funny. Not really. Yeah. <laughs> to tell you the truth, because um like the book event that we did um, here in Danbury with uh, at the at the Smith shop. Yeah. Um. That was great in the sense um, that was a personal thing because the guy who the owner Kevin uh, and his uh, I actually went to high school with them. Yes, and he was nice enough to contact me and he, he sent me a nice email and he said, "Oh, you know, I'm I'm, I'm down here, Danbury. Since only an hour away from from my house, whatever. Would you would I want to come down and, and, and do a signing?" So I said, "Yeah, absolutely for him. Yeah, definitely for him." And it was a lot of fun. I mean, oh, yeah. uh, hanging out with them and um, reminiscing about being at, at Mount St. Michael in the Bronx and everything else and. Um, so uh, for him, yeah, I said definitely. You know, I, again, I have even said to you, Matt, I, I like talking to you, um, in the sense that you know you are obviously really kind of into crime fiction. You know the whole new, all the New York writers. Yeah. Uh, like you're one of the things when I said when you uh, invited me to come on, I saw the lineup of your writers like Peter Blauner and and Lawrence Block especially. I yeah. mean, it, I, I'm he's a, I'm a he, he's a, he, you know my hero this guy. Um, so. You know, you're into it, so you, so yeah. I, I 
talking to you is fun. No, I noticed that. It, it, you know what it is? And not to knock or, or um, any other people that have interviewed you, but I just don't know if... I just don't know if people have interviewed in the past know enough of your work. Right. You know what exactly. I mean? To really have yeah. a discussion. You're with into you. it. You're a New York crime yeah, I know you're expert. S- <laughs> yeah, I mean if there's if there's twenty three, I think I'm probably up around sixteen <laughs> or seventeen. So I think that's pretty fair. <laughs> right. Um, you know, um, Mike, but that, that that's something I also really wanted to ask you about. We talk a lot about daily writing here, weekly writing here in the in the MFA program and, and then the other undergraduate programs, I'm sure. Um, how much of, for you, a guy who's pumped out, how much of the um, pressure of deadline do you put on yourself? In just a sense, like, is it something that you sweat over at times? Is it stuff that you, you can, after years of this, you're pretty even on your deadlines? Or, um, Like anything else, uh, you usually start to pick it up the closer you get to the, to the yeah. deadline, right? Um, a little bit of pressure is kind of gets you up, up out of bed earlier in the morning. But um, at this point, it's really about coming up with um, – you want to come up with that, that great idea that you're really kind of psyched about. And like I said before, to outline things and to really know where you're going, for me at this point is uh, um, what – really makes it so I, I got to get that outline down but once I kind of really get it down to where it's like I really know where I'm going um, I, I just take off and I go really quick through it you know I'm not going to mention anybody by name but I really think that some of the people in our program here again I don't I'm not going to say I don't want to but I don't you know right now I'm working on a non-fiction thing I don't spend the time on the type of I, let's say commercial fiction writing that that you do that Peter Blauner does that I would love to try more of but I can tell you that I think even um, with the success that you have had and the absolutely um, you know uh, infinite machine that James Patterson has set up through this process of outlining and kind of working with other writers I mean it just goes to show you how important the out- I don't always stick to as much as I like, but I do always have some type of vague outline, even if that outline is just on a piece of paper next to me. Right. Uh, And again, at times it's been a whole legal pad, and at times it's been as simple as just a a piece of paper. But I really think that some of the writers in our program would benefit even from hearing somebody like you talk about the benefits of outlining because – I am at a point, I am in my third semester of what we call the online multi-genre workshop here at Western Connecticut. And I can tell you that um, people have good ideas. They have nice turns of phrase. It, it, sometimes it just doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. And I think that that comes from a lack of structure and a lack of real outlining. You know, it's instead of having that, that mark that you're trying to sprint to with an right. outline... They kind of have a story that they're trying to build without maybe the the you know the um maybe the proper equipment I guess you would say or even the the light on the hard hat right you know what I mean yes. like it's it's yeah you, ha- you have to see where you're going absolutely I mean if you look at um because it's funny because again I started out like everybody else you know reading like all the advice books about writing, um, screenplay by Sid Field and, um, 
and then you read, you know, Aristotle's stuff about drama and Edgar Allan Poe and everything. But uh, so I started out in the beginning. I was like, yeah, maybe, you know, I'll just do it my own way, whatever. Uh, when I was younger, so I wouldn't outline. I didn't really pl plot. I just kind of sat down and wrote, oh, this sounds kind of cool. Um, discovery writing, I believe they call it. But in, in the beginning of my career, and it, and it did work. But at this point, um, doing this for so long, I truly believe that it is true. Because, I mean, when you look at Aristotle, he talks about how, how the plot of, of a story is the most important thing. Right. It's the most important thing. It's not about characterization. It's not about emotions. It's about the plot. It's about you have to kind of get this plot down because the plot is what is going to reveal all of the, the characteristics of the person. And it's going to keep my attention. Yeah, and it's got to go somewhere, you know. Um, it really is like, um, you have to look at it like, uh, a story is like a, it's like a time map. It, it, it's, it's it, you know, like a regular map is in space, but in a story it's a bunch, it's a bunch of incidents right. that are heading somewhere. You know, this, you're heading toward something. You're writing these scenes. These scenes. So there's, a, there's this, this, this journey, right? It's a map, but it's a map through time. And so you kind of have to, you know, um, to go anywhere, you know, like if you go anywhere, you you know, you Google map it or whatever, you, you know where you're going. Or right. Well, today, I guess you just say, you know, you ask Siri which way to go now. But in the past, you'd have to plot it all out on a map first. So it just seems to me like, like that really helps me, especially at this point, you know, of doing this for a long period of time, um, to know where you're going. It really, it, it's going to help you. I wanted to ask you something you know um and and thank you for the that compliment you gave earlier i really appreciate that that was nice but what i wanted to say to you is after our last conversation i have to admit i don't do this for every guest but i did dive in to the hoke mosley series head first okay and i was <laughs> like you know this stuff is great you know it, it was really it was really great stuff and um you know I kind of wonder. I don't want to ask you this question biasly, but I was like, have you ever written a character that you feel like is kind of inspired by Hoke? I don't. I don't feel like Bennett is really. Um, I think Gannon is a little bit more yeah. inspired by by, by Hoke Mosley. Yeah, uh, yeah, he, he's he's great. Um, uh, it's really funny. Um, because <clears throat> when I first decided to become a writer, um. I, I wanted to to kind of plot out like you know w what kind of writer do I want to be what what do I want to write so this was back in when I, I was working as a doorman uh, on Park Avenue and right around the corner on 58th Street there was a there was a library and it had a mystery section so in order to kind of figure out like hey, you know let me kind of just figure out what the genre is so to, to figure it like where do I want to fit in here um, and so I went through all these books and so the books that kind of stood out to me as really good. It was, uh, you know, Charles Williford, Hoke Mosley, um, another guy, Pediavich, um, Gerald Pediavich, who, yeah. wrote, who wrote, uh, To Live and Die in L.A., um, and there's another guy, um, Tom Kokonis, again, who people don't really know, but he was, he was really good, um, because it's funny, Tom Kokonis was kind of like Elmore Leonard, but kind of Quentin Tarantino before Tarantino. Because Quentin Tarantino says that that he was influenced by Williford and also Elmore Leonard, but I think he was truly influenced by this guy Tom Kokonis. Wow! Because it's the same sort of thing of um, 
very intense kind of, you know, violent, hard-boiled crime, and then something absolutely hilarious will happen. You know, there's a lot of comedy in it. Um, but um, but it's funny, like, when you talk about, like, again, and the other, like, single books that I really liked was uh, there was a guy, um, Robert Stone, wrote a book called Dog Soldiers. Mm-hmm. That was the National Book Award winner of 1975. And But it's really kind of a very, it's like a hard-boiled kind of crime story about a guy smuggling heroin from Vietnam. And um, so I just love this this book by Robert Stone, and I love Charles Williford. And, and other writers like Stephen King, I was really into Stephen King. And what's wild is that when you, when I, I didn't even know who these writers were, whatever, but when I looked into their background, and the one thing that they all share is that all of these guys, they're all working class people. You know, Charles Williford, oh, yeah. his parents died. Very young. And he, like, rode the rails yes. in the Great Depression and everything. And he joined the Army when he was, like, 16 years old because he, he was looking for work, and um, he had this crazy life. And um, But, again, just this working-class guy. And then you look at um, this guy, Robert Stone, who wrote, you know, won, won, the, won the, the National Book Award. He was another guy who was from Brooklyn, uh, you know, uh, and he spent time in an orphanage. Wow. And uh, and he too joined the the, uh, the navy like right out of this orphanage, so he had this another crazy life. So you just see these guys these guys are you know um, had had it hard. I mean, and then you look at Stephen King. Stephen King, his family was like you know have you know was, it, he he had a hard upbringing. Yeah. Um, he had a hard life. Had a hard life. Yeah. You know, but but you see how what beautiful writers these guys all came you know ended up being because of. I think it's because of the, their experiences, um, the reality that they uh, lived through, the, you know, really kind of, you know, explored, you know, how to, because again, if you look at stories like, like the whole hero's quest, right, where, um, you know, somebody has to go out and try to make their fortune and, 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 you know, they come from kind of uh, humble beginnings and they, they triumph at something. And all of these guys as people, like Stephen King, he triumphed as a person, right? Because he came from, again, a hard scrabble upbringing, and he became one of the biggest, you know, the biggest writer in the world. Probably, yeah. So he, he, he had a heroic life. So when he writes these heroic stories, I mean, he, this is something he's writing from his own life experience yeah. because he did accomplish something. He did, you know, he had it, it, it you know, his experiences were... I think he was were, still drinking heavily and stuff until his early 40s, maybe. Yeah. I mean, maybe not. Maybe a little earlier than that right. he gave it up, but, uh, yeah, he, I think he was... Yeah, he had a traumatic life. Yeah. And, but I'm saying, like, all of these traumatic experiences, uh, they're good for writers. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, I can tell you that much. I don't <laughs> think know? I ever got as much work done as until I started uh, getting PTSD stuff, so... <laughs> um, just, you know... When when you release a book like this and you write a book that's in this tone and kind of for this audience, how hard is it for a guy like you to get back into the Gannon? Which is a more, like I said, I always tell my friends it's like reading an action movie. You know? Yes, it's yeah. It's got that vibe of, of great... Like, if you're a dude that wants to... to to get into reading more and try fiction, they're great books. Yeah, they're really great. Thank you, yeah. Um, uh, how, do, how do I change gears? Um, it, it helps that, you know, you don't write them at the same time. You know, you put one down and then you, you pick up. It's, it's a different story, a different kind of voice in your head or whatever. Um, and, um, yeah, uh, and it's, it's funny. It's like, you know, writing a series is different than writing a standalone. You know, it's like 
Uh, it's like a movie compared to like a TV show. You know, you go back to a familiar character, whatever. So it's a, it's a little, it's different. Uh, so yeah, it, it's not that difficult to do. You just kind of um, put your head down, and after a bit, you, you know, it it, it kind of it, it's like riding a bike. It comes back to you. I hate to put you on the spot, and I know I did the other day, but what's the story with that? Like, is it? It seems like there hasn't been a Gannon for a while now. Yeah, the next one is coming out, uh, I believe, in August of 2024. Um, one of the things is that, yeah, it's because it, it, because I want to do these standalones. Um, I, ideally, what, what I, I wish would happen would that they would put out the Gannon every because I'm I'm writing them both very quickly, so. I wish they would put out a Gannon every year because I know that the fans, they, they, every, the fans want to know, they want the book to come out in the same month, you know, every year, and I have one a year. Um, but because, again, I'm not the only, you know, uh, author from On the uh, my, my publisher, so that there's a lot of scheduling stuff that, that I guess um, makes it where, you know, uh, it, it makes it more difficult. So, so these things get delayed, which, which I do, you know, I, I wish I could... If it was up to me, I'd be delivering them one a year, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and have a standalone. Yeah. Um, you know, and I maybe in the future we'll we'll try to kind of get it coordinated where where you know, we have both of these things happening every year. But uh, yeah, I I know exactly what you're talking about, right? Because you do because you do like the character and you want to see what's going right. to happen next. You know, and and, and I yeah, and you're waiting too long. It's like if it's a year and a half, it's or two years, it's too, too long. Another thing I don't totally understand is it just seems like a long. And again, I. Again, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but it does seem a little long today. And I, again, I don't know the philosophy behind this. I'm plead, trying to plead ignorance. It's like, how does it help that the paperback won't come out until June 24? I mean, I guess they want people to buy them around the same time. I mean, you know, it's it, it that maybe they say, hey, you know, uh, you might want to try the last one at the same time as the right. new one. And I guess, right. I guess maybe I guess that's it. Yeah. But um, it. it, it, it it would be I I have it on Audible and I I I like that way, but I really like my paperback. You know, I can read it. What I love about the paperback is it doesn't vibrate, ding, doesn't tag you in any photos <laughs> or anything like that. Right. Doesn't uh, you know like there's not a wallet on there charging you for stuff. You're not like monitoring your debt um, while you're reading a book. There you go. Uh, and and some people like Mike. Um, tell me a little bit about what the next couple of weeks looks like for you while while this book is out are you back to writing something now or are you are you on a steady moving around promoting the book um I, yeah i just i basically just finished the the fourth gannon book and now i'm working on a, another standalone um so i'm you know kind of diving into that um and uh, yeah I'm, I'm working on that one uh yeah so yeah i, I so I'm, do, I'm doing the standalone and then i'm and like you said, like all the time, I'm taking notes and stuff about what do I want the next Gannon to be after that, and blah blah. blah. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm working on this other standalone. And when you're when you're working on uh, like your next projects, how much of uh, those notes do you actually reference? Do you really reference your notes, or do you just kind of note them and then it's stuck in your head? You know, right. Um, it's true. I have a lot of notes that I you, know, you never read again, right? It's funny. Um, yeah, different methods that I've used uh, over time. What, what you know, what I do now is um, I've done all sorts of different things. But you, what I find helpful, uh, I have an, an iMac computer. Awesome. 
And so I use the folders. Nice. You ever see the fold, you know, where I'll lay it all out on the big screen, whatever, and um, uh, which helps me to outline. You know, I'll use these folders and I'll put like, I'll take notes, like, let's say, like in a, a Microsoft Word document, whatever, and I'll put them into these folders. Like chapter one. Yeah, or just, just notes. Yeah, just things that I kind of want to have happen, and I'll just chuck them in these folders and I have them there so I can just open up the folder and um, and have it all like that because I've done it in different different ways where you'll have, uh, you know, I started out with notebooks, but then it was like, you know, I'd have 10 notebooks. I'd be like, where did I put right. this other thing? And I couldn't find it. So then I, then I went on to having clipboards with uh, um, printer paper. Wow. You know, but then I got five or six clipboards, which one is which, you know? <laughs> and I, yeah, I mean, my, my, my wife drives me crazy. She's like, okay, we got we have to clear some of the stuff out. So now I, I'm, I'm, I'm cluttering up my computer with this stuff. So. <laughs> when you um, kind of, when you kind of left Patterson and, and that uh, kind of consistent relationship working with him, right? what, you know, did you think that things would go as smoothly as they have? Did you think it would have been an easier or harder transition to kind of put your name out there? Because like you said, you have 20 some odd novels. I mean, have you been really, Mike, have you been, I hate to put a number on this and be totally wrong. Are you 25 years into publishing novels now? Um, I started, yeah. My first novel came out in, in 99. But I but I wrote it a couple years before that, so yeah, yeah, I've been yeah. This is coming on thirty years, yeah. Yeah, like was was it? Was, did you did you feel like that you and and again you may be yeah. People took me serious because I worked with Patterson and that. But did you feel like it was easy enough to get out there as your own person? Because I know that even my um. Even my fiance's like grandpa knows Mike Ledwich because he's a Patterson fan, right? You know what I mean? Yes, but, th that definitely helps. But it just didn't just even aside from that, uh -huh. with, with say, all right, I with Patterson. But, but what was that transition like for you? What was it? Was it easy? Was it were there were there people lining up to deal with you? Or um, well, one one of the reasons why I, I, uh, I this is always in, in my mind for for years is to say, okay, I'm gonna at some point I'm gonna go back to just working. Uh, on my own stuff, just to have my own vision, and what have you, and um, so that you know that was always kind of the plan, the big, the long-term plan. So um, did I? Yeah, did I know if it was going to be easier or hard or whatever? It didn't really matter to me. It's like you know, um, I needed to do it, whether it was going to be hard or difficult. And uh, and again, and I started out from nothing in the very beginning, right? Nobody knew who I was, whatever. And I just worked really hard, and I and I got I got my first novel published, and um, so I said to myself, you know what? Because um, I mean, one of the things about this job is that you, you you have to be. It's almost like working with Patterson was it was great. I mean, he was such a nice guy, and and also it was just it was really fun to work with somebody at writing, yeah, um, to collaborate with somebody. It actually was really cool just to talk about whatever we were doing. And yeah, and I do miss that. I miss the you know sitting down and and and, and talking and and having you know a meeting about stuff. But um, one of the things about this is that you know cut the net away. Yeah. I, I I need just to do it on my own, if only just to inspire me to do it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because you get you get lazy and whatever. You just whatever. And so with this, it's like no, I have to get up. I have to do this. I have to. You know, I needed to kind of put that gun to my head again That's to good. kind of get the juices going again and try to, you know, because, again, it's been, um, you know, I, one of the things that I just want to try to write 
the best book that I can and I want to be as inspired as possible and um and yeah so it was a, a the notion of saying you know uh I don't want to get lackadaisical about this thing because it's you, you know you really have to give uh 100% in it, to write a novel that people like you know to, yeah. to write a consistent novel to to crank out 400 pages that the first page is as good as the, la the last page is as good as the first one um it's a high level of difficulty and a high level of of uh, dedication and uh so I just wanted, I didn't want to kind of cheat anybody or cheat myself. You know what I mean? I wanted to put 110% in and, uh, and, uh, and just that challenge of just, because I mean, I, I, one of the, I've been so fortunate in the sense that I've been able to come up with uh, working at a job that is basically, it's not, it's not, it's like my hobby is my job, you know, because somebody actually asked me, um, you know, since, because like right now, I don't do a lot of like reading fiction for fun. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of a job. It's always like a challenge. So even if I'm re reading something that's new or whatever, I'm always kind of analyzing it, whatever. Right. It's tough. Yeah. Cause I used to really love to, re to read fiction, you know, just as to unwind. And so somebody said, so how do you unwind now? And what I figured out is that basically by working Jameson, <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, right, right, right. But by working itself is like, you know, my hobby is my job. Yeah. And that's, I'm lucky to, to be able to do that. It's you know? really cool. Yeah. I mean, you have to get, you're on a creative level, you know, in a lot of ways you have that freedom in so many ways that, um, you know, probably definitely many, definitely many people, uh, aspire to, you know what I mean? And I think that, uh, you know, you, you have these situations, um, where, You've created things, and they're continuing. And uh, with with the girl in the vault, how much of you, as a writer who creates these characters at times, how much of you is like, you know, if I were to revisit, is there a way in your mind that you could somehow revisit the characters, or are they all done? Um, to my mind, they they're done. Yeah, huh? they're done. Yeah, um, yeah, because I, I just want to come up with so with something new. It's an interesting yeah. on off kind of a way that writers can look at their work you know it's like if you have a series the character is sacred and it kind of has to keep going but if it's a one-off these characters are done you know what I mean? like right. beach wedding i don't think you're going to see the guy burke again you know what I mean? right, right right you know he's, he's he's done right and i um it's interesting to um a lot of commercial fiction writers over the years have kind of had to abandon characters because uh, of different contractual things. I mean, somebody who comes to mind right now is Ace Atkins. I don't think he'll be doing the Quinn Coulson character anymore. I think he's got oh, a wow. new character Okay. That that's uh, actually a reporter based in Florida is the new character. Oh, wow. Okay. That, that could be interesting yeah. for him because he was a, re uh, a Florida reporter at one point in right. Tampa, I think. Um, okay. But um, t take us through just as... Uh, is there stuff that... Um, uh, again, you've had so much creative freedom, Mike. Is is there stuff that you can't sell? Ideas that you just haven't been able to to convince? Is something you ever go back to and you say, "Hey, let's try this." It's been in my head. Um, not really, because I I, I I always have the kind of audience in mind, you know. Because I want to, yeah, I want to write books that people are are gonna like, they're gonna read. So, and I kind of know, I know the, I know the genre, I know the. I know the the terrain of what people like, and uh, yeah, I want to I, I want to give readers a, a great fun, um, 
a story that you know again that a, a mass market is going to like you know so yeah so it, it isn't like oh no I, I need to uh, I have some um, uh, you know kind of out there idea that you know I need to share with with the, with the world no <laughs> I want to sell them some I want to because my ideal as I've always said in the, from the beginning of this was that I used to love fiction uh, when I was working as a doorman for example I always just wanted to have a book on the train so I just have this so I could escape yeah and just have a you know because people say oh that's escapist fiction and I'm always like you know thank thank goodness yeah you know don't we all want to escape sometimes our lives our lives can be very stressful and and to take two hours and just to kind of go you know and watch somebody else's adventure or whatever and just to kind of take your mind off your own your own life um i think is, is it's actually the purpose of art is to be absorbed into something that where you're not thinking about your own life and you're you're not thinking about the fear and the uncertainty of your own life where you, you know some, some some something that's beautiful or something that's compelling that, that takes you your 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 attention away from yourself, and that that is the pleasure of art, and that's what I try to do, and uh, and and for as many people as possible. Something know? that you touched on just there, I wanted to ask you because you've been so candid with us. Um, you know, Mike, you have pretty much anybody who is listening to this show, and we'll we'll remind you at the top of the show that Mike has written crime novels with James Patterson. He's written a standalone crime novels before that. He's very much in that crime action genre. But l- let me let me ask you, Mike, if if you could give us even just a little glimpse, what could you tell us a little bit about the sales of both of these books? I mean, is it is it overwhelmingly that there's a bigger audience for women or is it does Gannon hold its own? Um the definitely women buy more books. Mm-hmm. Um the beach wedding book did, did well, did did better probably than than Gannon. Um, it's it's hard to see. Yeah, I mean, th- but but the Gannons are doing well too. Yeah. Um, especially the first one, because uh, in a series, you know, people always will gotta they, go if, back to one. They'll buy. Ba- they'll go back to the first one. Yeah, yeah. So the yeah. So so the Gannon. Stop at nothing is the stop first at one. nothing is the first one, right? Yeah. So so that yeah that one that one can, sells all the time. Yeah. Um, What's the second one? Run for cover. Run for cover. Run for cover, and that's that's doing well too. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah, people. Yeah, they like that a lot. It's funny. The third one, hard to break. Um, uh, didn't do as well as the other two, but um, it's it did well too. You know what I mean? But yeah, but but Beach Winding definitely did did well. Uh, and and one of the things with that is that just in, you know in terms of 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 uh, marketing whatever. Um, because one of the things that was cool, like working with, with James Patterson, was he was really good at he really understood um, how to how to sell books and, and 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 what people liked and blah blah. And and he would tell me, um, you know, the cover has to be good, has to be appealing. So that has a good. Again, what's yeah. great is that my daughter, um, my grown daughter, she she was she's really good. Uh, she did like her high school yearbook, and she she worked at a, she worked at Martha Stewart magazine. For a while, so she knows how to do layouts and stuff like that. She's really visually very talented. So she's helped me to develop covers and That's things awesome. like this. Your daughter helps you. My do daughter, that stuff. yeah, wow. she, yeah, she's 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 very talented. And um, so. I got. I have to ask you. You know, I think that that's such an important thing. I I, I think about the cover of my own potential book, and I think about um, covers of other people's books. I've actually um, consulted with a guy. I, I kind of bounce ideas uh, with this guy who's a great 
great graphic designer here in town. Right. Um, yeah, because I mean, it, it, a book has it has to look good. It has to be. You have to be able to kind of again just certain basic things like you have to be able to read read the title from across the room. You want to be able. You know, it has to be nice and big and bright. I mean, to me, this is um, you know, um, and it also it should have uh, the colors have to kind of be. Um, it has to look nice. I mean, you have some great covers. The Quickie's a great cover. Uh, Run for Cover is a great cover. Yeah. Uh, Stop at Nothing is a good is cover. Is a good, good, yes. Um, right. Bad Connection is a fantastic cover. Okay. Um, I, yeah. I, I mentioned this every the last time you came. If you want to read Michael Ledwidge's first few novels, they are at Danbury Library in hardcover. Oh, nice. All of them. Oh, nice. All of them are there. <laughs> uh, it's, it's great to hear that. Um, right, because I mean, because one thing, and just to say, beginning writers, if you're gonna, you know, if you get a, you know, good luck, you get a contract and blah blah, definitely jump in there and and uh, and and have some feedback about what the cover looks like, because they'll just they'll throw it off to somebody, and because yeah, I've I've seen covers where I was like, you know. Uh, I didn't like it very much. I can't. You know? Sometimes. And, and it is important. The cover is important. The title is important. The cover is important. And um, so sometimes, get involved in that. Sometimes I look, I think that's actually fantastic advice for a young writer is like, especially with some of the stuff I read here in the MFA program, if you think you have a great idea for sci-fi or fantasy, think about the whole package because the odds are, even for myself, the odds are you may have to consider self-publishing this stuff. Some people will, many people will have to consider that. And it, obviously that's not the goal. But I tell you something, the more I look on Amazon, sometimes I am really kind of like, you know, I'm sure you worked hard on the writing and it, it might you might not be Shakespeare, but I mean, one thing is if the book's bad, you could still have a fantastic cover. <laughs> Right, you know what yeah, I mean. Like, it should look professional. It should yeah. look really yeah. good, no. like the best you can. Right. Mike, we're we're gonna let you go here by asking okay. you a question that we've asked everybody who's come on. Uh, could you share with us just some nugget, your personal writing advice? Okay, um, personal writing advice. I'll, I'll give you a good one. If you want to, um, kind of uh, understand stories. Um, especially today when, when, when people have access to, to, to film, what you should do, go, you know, find out whatever, let's say a film is two hours long, go to the midpoint of the film and look at the midpoint scene because the midpoint scenes of really good films are so important. And um, I'll give you an example. In, in the midpoint of the film, Fatal Attraction, um, where there's a scene where um, the Michael Douglas character is meeting the, the the crazy Glenn Close character, and they're in um, they're in Grand Central Station or somewhere, and just all the visual stuff that they do with it, where you'll see that so Michael Douglas is walking with Glenn Close and they're walking down like a corridor in, in Grand Central Station, and Glenn Close and the camera's looking at him from the back, and Glenn Close is. In front of her, she's like standing on a on a dark background, and she has like this kind of crazy looking hair, and Michael Douglas is walking in a in, in, uh, alongside like a brightly lit area, and there's people talking on the phone. So it's like he's like this domestic thing, and she's kind of like it's kind of and there's people moving around where Glenn Close is. So she's she's like chaos. He's like order, and then finally in the very middle scene, it shows Michael Douglas is. You see Michael Douglas's face, and behind him, 
is a is a poster on the wall, and it's like a it's like a Scotch ad or something like that, and it's a wedding, and it's like a, a bride and a groom or whatever. And so so it's like he's standing against like in this with this wedding thing, you yeah. know, because it, it, it's all about how he's going to protect his family, and she's seen from the back, and she's standing against a black background, and she looks kind of like a monster, and this is just in the middle of the film. And that's just one. You can go to so many different films and just look at, you know, just go right in the exact middle, the, mathematically, and see that scene. There's always some, there's a pivot that the, the people put in that is um, really, really interesting. And I think that that's actually, that leads into a great piece of writing advice that I think you probably agree with. You have to read and write a lot of what you want to write. Like, before you really... Right. I mean, like, I think it's like understanding how a story uh, finds its pace like that. Right. You know, that ultimately is going to make you a better writer. You know, I mean, um, there's all different types of writing. You know, like I, one thing, it sounds crazy maybe to a to a novelist or something. It took me a long, I've been a journalist 20 years. It really took me a long time to, like, master the newspaper style of thing. Right. Because I started with the magazines. So it w the magazines was like waste words, paint this at times flowery picture or grim picture, whatever you want to do. But just paint it because you have 5,000 words to spend. But when you're doing a story in 1,800 words in a newspaper, it's a, it's a completely different task. And, right. And my early days of trying to write those 1,800, I mean, they would come out at 3,500 parts. I just didn't know how to do it. You okay, know? right. I didn't know how to get it down. Condense it. And it's literally now like it's almost more like writing a poem because the paragraph is one sentence sometimes in a newspaper. You ever read a newspaper right. story? A paragraph is one sentence. That's right. Two sent one and a half sentences. It's sped up, yeah. right? Yep. And so it's just uh, I, I, I want People's attention spans are, are less. And that's a, the, the, one of the last things I'll close on. Mike, did, did you ever at a time seek out any for, outside of Manhattan College where you were an alumnus of and James Patterson also attended? Did you ever seek out any formal class of writing any any no huh? no just from because yeah it just came from reading and working with patterson was a, was like a being in an mfa program for real for how many right. years yeah. yeah like i yeah it was like having a writing coach yeah because i'd send him the stuff that we were working on and he'd say okay ixnay this more of this you know what i'm saying so like you could and again he had the kind of uh Again, just like an editor at a newspaper or something like that, where you hand in, okay, I want this. Okay, cut this part out. Leave this, you know, more of that, whatever. So did you, it was good. Did you ever have, just out of curiosity, did you ever have any other coach or anybody else you worked with or sent stuff to, a writer? No? Um, not, only when I was first starting out. No. Um, I sent some stuff. There was a, a kind of cool, famous guy. His name was... Uh, 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 this guy, fa his name is Father Malachi Martin. Okay, yeah. Uh, and he uh, he was a friend of uh, of a friend, and he was he's a a Jesuit priest oh. who wrote thriller novels about the Vatican. Wow. And he's actually he's very well known in uh, in conspiracy circles. Wow. Because uh, he did a lot of stuff. He was to, used to be on on radio shows in the in the eighties, talking about the the popes and. Um, because he was the right-hand man of one of the popes. Wow. And he kind of grew up in the Vatican and blah, blah, blah. And yes, anyway, <laughs> a friend of a friend sent him uh, pages from my first novel. And he was actually nice enough. 
he actually came to my job. I was working on Park Avenue as a doorman. Wow. And he actually showed up at my job, and uh, and he, he, he encouraged me. He said, Mike, you know, I, I try to get you an agent, but my agent's retiring or something. He said, but uh, I totally encourage you to, to uh, seek publication because I think it really, you know, the stuff you sent me is great, you know? So... Mike, thanks so much you again for visiting us on Public Reading Club. The book is The Girl in the Vault. It's out now on any bookstore, and the best place to get it would be the Booksmiths in Danbury, Connecticut. You can call down there. I'm sure they, they, there might be some signed copies left over there. Yeah, or? I think so. That'd be yeah. great. Yeah. That'd be great. It's, uh, the book is out now from HarperCollins? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, HarperCollins. Mike, thanks again for coming in. Yeah. My, you're always welcome to come in, and I really, really want you to come in when the next Gannon book comes out because that would be fun for me. All right. Mike, you thanks so it. much. Bob. All right. Thanks, Matt. So there you have it. Uh, really a fantastic time having Michael Ledwidge with us. It's really humbling uh, that Mike has listened to the show. Uh, I know he's a fan of Lawrence Block and uh, Peter Blauner and other people that have appeared on the show. And it's it's really great. I, I'm going to have Mike on again, uh, as long as we can keep doing this show while I'm here at WestCon. Uh, I am going to continue to do it, and I'm going to have Mike on again when um, his latest novel in the Michael Gannon series comes out. Uh, it's a fun kind of uh, a little over the top at times, but it's like reading an action movie. And uh, if you want to break away from all the seriousness of the world and um, kind of the redundancy of television, uh, there's there's something a little different out there uh, in the Gannon series, and I'd love to have him on. But again, uh, feel free to check out the the Girl in the Vault because it's a fantastic read. Mike is uh, really a master of that genre now, and it would be fantastic to one day have him come to speak to students here at WestCon. Um, hopefully, some of my students. As uh, I guess I should put in this this episode, if you if you listen to the show, I will be teaching here at Western Connecticut State. Um, I will be handling uh, Professor John Roach, who's a fantastic writer himself. Uh, I will be handling Professor John Roach's uh, sports writing class, and um, that. Uh, what really is it's very humbling for me and I hope to have a lot of good guests and a lot of good conversations so if you listen to the show and you want to visit class or you, you want to come in when there's a guest speaker contact me and I'll make sure it's okay and and you can do so um, uh, again this is Public Reading Club I am your host Matt Caputo with my uh, co-producer and engineer here Patrick Frenette uh, thank you for joining us for episode 13 with uh, Michael Ledwidge. So thanks again, and we'll be back soon, hopefully uh, before December's over. There'll be one more episode, but uh, in the early new year, we have a lot of good stuff on, on tap. So uh, please keep checking in. The Instagram will continue to get updated, and we hope to have one more episode um, before the year ends. Thank you so much to everyone and anyone who's checked out this show. Public Reading Club is a production of WXCI 91.7 Danbury Radio, hosted by Matt Caputo and produced by Pat Frenette and Matt Caputo.